to um, come this day on what we refer to as Palm Sunday. It's a day in which we remember, a day in which we commemorate Jesus Christ entering into the city of Jerusalem. And if you remember last week, um, I stated at the beginning of the message that, Lord willing, we were going to a, have a message on Palm Sunday, uh, regarding Palm Sunday, and then next week about the Resurrection Day. Um, but then toward the end of the message, I realized that there was no way we were going to get accomplished everything I wanted to get accomplished. And I said, well, I guess next week we're going to talk about Daniel some more and not worrying, worry about Palm Sunday. But I was mistaken in, in, in my statement. And, um, and rather, God in his perfect timing, what I didn't recognize at the time was that this, we are going to do both today. We are going to have both that message on Daniel and what is almost one of the best Palm Sunday messages that we could have. Because it's the prophecy regarding Jesus coming as, the, as that king um, entering into Jerusalem. And so, if you would, turn with me to the book of Daniel, chapter 9. Daniel 9. <clears throat> and I'm going to read um, a couple verses here. We're going to skip a little bit in the middle there, because it's really it's not uh, pertinent, necessarily, to what we're, our discussion is about with end-time prophecy. Daniel 9, beginning of verse 1, it says, In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the lineage of the Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books of the numbers of the years specified by the word of Yahweh through Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolation of Jerusalem. Then I set my face toward the Lord God to make request by prayer and supplication with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. And I prayed to Yahweh, my God, and made confession and said, O Lord, great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him and with those who keep his commandments. We have sinned and committed iniquity. We have done wickedly and rebelled, even by departing from your precepts and your judgments. And so Daniel goes on and he, and he confesses the sins of Israel. Okay, now drop down to verse 16. O Lord, according to all your righteousness, I pray, let your anger and your fury be turned away from your city Jerusalem, your holy mountain, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people are a reproach to all those who are around us. Now, therefore, our God, hear the prayer of your servant and his supplications. And for the Lord's sake, because your cause your face to shine on your sanctuary, which is desolate. <clears throat> oh, my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations in the city, which is called by your name. For we do not present our supplications before you because of our righteous deeds, but because of your great mercies. O oh Lord, hear. O oh Lord, forgive. O oh Lord, listen and act. Do not delay for your own sake, my God, for your city and your people are called by your name. Now, while I was speaking, praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my supplication before Yahweh my God for the holy mountain of my God, yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering. And he informed me and talked with me and said, O oh, Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand. 
At the beginning of your supplications, and the command went out. And I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter, and understand the vision. Seventy weeks are determined for your, holy, for your people and for your holy city. To finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and sixty-two weeks. The street shall be built again in the wall, even in troublesome time. And after the sixty-two weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the Prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood until the end of the war. Desolations are determined. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week he shall bring an end to the sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate. Even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. Now, we have been going through, since the beginning of the year, the book of Revelation. And as we've gone through the book of Revelation, we have considered... Um, the basic outline of the things that have been, the things that are, and the things that will be. And we are currently looking at the precursors to the message of the future, looking at an introduction to prophecy. And so, as we consider this message um, of the future and the introduction to prophecy, we've looked at the nature of prophecy, which you can see up there, and then conveyance of prophecy, which we've looked at the covenants and feast. We've been looking at the book of Daniel. This is our last message, Lord willing, on the book of Daniel as we consider this. Uh, two weeks from now, we'll pick it back up with um, the other prophets. That'll be a week or two. And then via Jesus, and then via Paul. Two weeks ago, we began looking at the prophecy in the book of Daniel. And we looked at the, the vision that was given to Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 2, and then also the vision that was given to Daniel in chapter 7, um, as well as a little bit of chapter 8 thrown in there as well. And we saw that... As time goes on, as history was going to go forward from that time, there were going to be four major world empires. Now, I say four at first, but there's going to, you understand there's going to be six. Okay? But four that were talked about very significantly that we know of, and that was Babylon. Babylon would be the first one. Medo-Persia would be the second. Greek, Greece would be the third. And Rome would be the fourth. We're told that there were toes then were made of iron and clay, which gives us the understanding that there's going to be a fifth empire that's going to come, and it's going to be a revived Roman Empire. And Daniel told Nebuchadnezzar that in that dream, that as he watched, there was a stone that was made without hands coming from a mountain, and it was cast at those feet, and it destroyed this entire statue, and it, um, and it set up a whole new empire. Now we know that that new empire is the empire of God. It was the Ancient of Days from chapter 7, um, and the saints of the Most High will reign. Last week, we looked um, more at the Greek Empire as we looked at um, chapters 10, 11, and 12. Primarily, we looked at chapter 11 and 12. Chapter 10 was a, is a little introduction to that. But we looked at, in chapter 11 and chapter 12, that there was going to be this continuing battle between the king of the north and the king of the south. The king of the south would be the Ptolemies, and the king of the north would be the Seleucids. And so we saw all the wranglings that would be going on, all the... the um, the, 
the seeking of arbitration and stuff like that, and the, and the fighting going back and forth. We saw toward the end of that the transition from the Ptolemies and the Seleucids to the exploits and end of the end time king. I hope you remember that. That there was a the period there at, um, where all of a sudden we're told that this is going to happen until the end times. And we saw Antiochus Epiphanes, if you remember that. Anybody remember what Epiphanes meant? No? The illustrious. The illustrious. But what did the people call him? The insane, which is Eminence. That's right. And so, um, good. Just a little thing. Let's me know that a couple people were paying attention. Anyways, so to the little nitty-ditty details anyway. So Antiochus Epiphanes, but was a type of the end time king. And we're going to see that even more today, okay? So I want you to call, this is all putting together. Remember what we were talking about today, I was kind of hoping to throw at the end of last week. But I'm glad that we didn't. Because honestly, I was going to shortchange you last week. And I was up till after one last night, still working on this. I got up at 5, it's 5.30 this morning. And so I have spent hours on this. And Marsha looks at me sometimes and goes, what are you doing? And, and this is such a struggle for me because, as I said in the beginning of this prophecy stuff, I don't want to tell you something that I don't understand myself. And so I've just spent hours on math. I love math. But a lot of this is going to wind up being math, okay? And in searching out the different theories that are out there and, and opinions that are out there and, and, and in the end saying to myself, Okay, Bob, so what do you believe? And I was just going to kind of short-circuit it last week, you know, and just kind of put the, the, the 70 weeks out there. And um, so anyways, I, I felt like the Lord was uh, kind of challenged me a little bit more this week to, to not do that, not, not short-change the word here as we go through it. And so we're going to be talking a lot about that today. And, and so I want you to remember those exploits of Epiphanies last week because we're going to see some of the same exploits in the end-time king today as we look at it. So, we're told here in the book of Daniel, chapter 9, that Daniel was praying about what? What was Daniel praying about? The restoration of the people of Israel. How though, specifically? The return, more specific. More specific. Say again? Rebuilding of the city, but yeah, yeah, you're all missing one thing. He says specifically that he was praying to understand concerning the prophecy of Jeremiah. Okay? This is exciting stuff. Okay? Because you're going to see this in a moment when we start to do some of this chronology. Okay? There's a lot of... And on the back of your summer note sheets, if you've got your summer note sheet, you'll see a whole chronology there. Okay? And we're going to be going through that. As boring as that may seem, we're not going to go through it in infinite detail, but points of it. And it's exciting stuff, so even though some of the stuff we weren't going to talk about, I figured that since I did it, you can have it. Um, but um, what's exciting to me in all this, is we, before we do a precursor here, is that Daniel is living, okay, in Babylon, okay, and we're told this is the first year of who? Darius the Mede, who was made to rule, who was made to be king over the province of Chaldea. Okay? It's going to come important down the road because this is not the Darius that we read about as the, the king of, of Persia. This, is, this was a general um, who was in Cyrus's army who was given the right to reign. And so this first year of Darius is also the first year of Cyrus reigning over Babylon as well. And so in this time, 
Daniel, who was living in Babylon, right? He's lived through the reign of Nebuchadnezzar. He's lived through the reign of, of Nebuchadnezzar's sons and grandsons. He's now living in the reign of Persia. He's gone through this, this process, right? And so, and so now here he is, and he's reading the prophecies of Jeremiah. Isn't this exciting stuff? And he's praying, just as we're praying, Lord, help us to understand it. And so while he's praying, God sends a messenger to him, Gabriel. And Gabriel has come to give him a little bit of understanding. And so he tells him now that not necessarily about the 70 years, which he's praying about, but rather he gives him more information, further information. And he says, Daniel, here's what's going to happen. 70 weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgressions, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Note, the most, one of the most important things about this prophecy, as we're going to look at it later on, and that is, who is the focus of this prophecy? Who is it pointed to? Israel. That's exactly right. It's for your people in your holy city. Daniel... In his prayer, and the reason I read the part of the prayer that I read, was that Daniel was praying specifically about the chosen people, and about God's holy mountain, the place where God's temple would reside, and God's city, where his name resides. And so, so Daniel is talking about this, and so God comes back, and he gives them a specific mes uh, message about his people. Now this is important, because if you remember, two weeks ago, when we went through the book of Daniel chapter 7, we looked at when there was the, the, the Ancient of Days was there. Remember he came, the Ancient of Days came and sat on his throne. And those who were with him were who? The saints of the Most High. And I said, remember this, put it in the back of your mind, because it's going to come into play. Because there, in chapter 7, we were not told that they were the, the Jews. Rather, in chapter 7... The saints of the Most High are you and me. They're the believers. It's the church. It's the ones who are followers of the Lamb. But here, in chapter 9, this prophecy is specifically for Israel. It's for the Jews. And it's for their land. And this is so important for us to understand, because when we get to the book of Revelation, many people don't understand it when it comes to the 70th week, that it is for Israel, not for us. Okay? So, the focus of the weeks is for us. The purpose of the weeks, we know, is to what? Finish the transgression. Okay? Finish what transgression? The transgression of the people. Why did all this start? Why, did, why, why is Israel in captivity to begin with? Because they turned away from God. Okay? It's to put an end, to put a finish to the transgression, to make an end of sins. Now, to make an end of sins means to stop it, okay? To stop the sins, okay? And we'll talk about when Jesus Christ came, but clearly we understand this, you know, we're, we, we're kind of looking at this with 20-20 vision, right? Hindsight. And so we know that when Jesus Christ came, what did he do for us? He died for what? Sins. And positionally, did he die, did he make an end of sins? Positionally. Yes. Practically speaking, I still live here. But the fact is that once you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, how many sins are paid for? All of them. Now, I want to go a step further for you on this one. 
I'm going to cause you to stretch maybe on this, okay? But according to 1 John chapter 2, we're told that, um, little children, these things I write unto you that you sin not. And if anyone sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the, the righteous, who is not, not only the propitiation for our sins, propitiation for our sins only, but also is the propitiation for the sins of what? The whole world. So I want to ask you the question. Whose sins are made an end to? All believers? All people. Does that make sense? I mean, this is a stretcher for us because we look at the world and we say, but they haven't accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior, so therefore their sins can't be atoned for. Their sins are atoned for. He is the propitiation not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. And if he died not only for my sins, past, present, and future, then I'm, then I'm told that he, passed, he, he died for the sins of the whole world, past, present, and future. The difference is what? Whether they've appropriated it or not. Whether the, the sacrifice has been appropriated to them individually. That's a big deal. So Jesus Christ came to finish the transgressions, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity. And we're told in Second uh, Corinthians chapter 5 that we are ambassadors of reconciliation. Yes. To bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision and prophecies, and to anoint the most holy. That was the purpose of these 70 weeks. But now that where we want to spend most of our time here is the division of the weeks because we're looking at end times and we were to look at how this applies to us and even today and as we look forward to the future. We're told that there are 70 weeks or 77s that are divided, that are determined. The word determined there actually means to divide, divide out. And so there are 77s divided out is what, it's told, is what we're told. Now, in the book of Leviticus, chapter 25, verse 8, we're told that in you, sh you shall count seven Sabbaths. And just so you know, the word Sabbath. Does anybody know what the word Sabbath means? Rest. rest. Okay, we, we take it to mean rest, Shabbat. But does anybody know where it comes from? Where the word Shabbat comes from? It comes from the word seven. That's exactly right. Because God rested on the seventh day, Shabbat. So, the Shabbat is seventh, and Shabbat is the day, and so it's the day of the seventh. It's the seventh day, okay? And so, and you shall count seven, seventh days, seven Shabbats of years for yourself, seven times seven, or seven sevenths, in the time of the seven Shabbats, seven seventh days of years, shall be to you 49 years. And so the point is that in counting, the, the, the concept of using the... the the year like that, the, the seven, is, is a Jewish thing. And so back to the, the, the book of Daniel, 77s are determined, while the 77s, the weeks, is not necessarily the word there. It actually is the word seven. So it's 70 heptads. And so 70 heptads is 77 years, 77-year groups. And so that would equal 490 years, right? So 77s is 70 heptads, or groups of seven years. 70 times 7 is... 490 years. Okay, so we're talking about a, a time that was given to Daniel of 490 years. And so Daniel's told, know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until the Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. 
So we're told that this division of the weeks, there's going to be two major breakups. There's going to be three breakups, but notice that the 7 and the 62 in the first grouping are put together. Okay, we'll talk about the 7 in a moment. But there's going to be 7 weeks and 62 weeks. They're put together. And this is the time from the restored and rebuilt Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince. So 7 weeks, 62 weeks, put it together. 7 plus 2 times 7 is 483. A little algebra there. Okay, I enjoy the math part of it. And then we're told that after that, after 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood until the end of the war. Desolations are determined. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one seven, one septet, one heptad. But in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And so after 483 years and other prophecies, which we're going to get to because you can see there's kind of a gap there, there will be the final week or seven years. Okay, is everybody tracking with this so far? Okay, so we've got two major groupings. 483 years, and then seven years. Now that's according to the scripture. That's the scriptural, scriptural breakdown. We have the, the initial place and we have the, the, the final place. Now in this division, we're told that there are some um, ways that we will know how we can determine each of these times. How do we know when the beginning of the, the, the 490 years is? How do we know when the 483 years are ended and, and the next and how do we know when the next thing's going to happen well we're told that know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem and then skip the next little phrase there the street shall be built again and the wall even in troublesome times so we're told that on the initial side of this that it's going to start this clock if you would this prophetic clock is going to begin when a command is given to restore and rebuild Jerusalem we're told that that re restoration of Jerusalem is going to include streets being built again and what? And the wall being built again. Even in what? Troublesome times. Okay, these are, these are prophetic statements not to be uh, ignored. And then it will end on the other side, the, the 483 years will end when? When Messiah the Prince comes. Okay, so there's going to be this, this period of time of 483 years that, that's going to occur. And so we want to look at this 483 years first and try to decide when was that 483 years. Now, this is where we're going to get into chronology. And honestly, if, you, if you're not a history buff, um, if you're a history buff, this will be exciting for you. I'm, I like history, but I'm not a history buff. But I find this thrilling to me. When I, when I take biblical things and I put them together. Now, understand that as we come down this chronology and we see 609 B.C., 605 B.C., to me, those numbers, right off the bat, straight up, are not sanctified numbers. Why? Why aren't they sanctified numbers? Because they're man's. Because it's man's determination. I'd rather put my confidence in what God says than what man says. And as I've gone through all this studies and stuff, I guess, and I've gone looking at um, the, <clears throat> the evidence, the archaeological finds that have been discovered um, from Nabonidus, I think it was Nabonidus' mother, and, 
and all these different uh, people. That, uh, there was a guy um, named Ptolemy down in Egypt who wasn't part of the Ptolemies, but he wrote a history um, of the Assyrian Empire and the Persian Empire. And so there's, there's all these, anyways, all these archaeological things that are out there. And it's kind of like scientists with evolution. If you get 20 scientists together and you ask them the age of the, of the universe, you're going to get 20 different opinions. Okay? And so when you get these archaeologists out there, you're going to have all these different ideas and theories and, 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 and people trying to put together, mesh together dates that seem to be different between archaeologists and historians of the past. Um, one of the interesting little side notes here that you may not know, I knew it before, but I was reminded about it as I was reading, that Nebuchadnezzar's, Nebuchadnezzar's um, grandson, Nebuchadnezzar, was himself an archaeologist. And that's why Belshazzar was actually there reigning and having that big old party the night that, that Persia came in, uh, yeah, Persia came in and ransacked them. And Nebuchadnezzar was down in, in Arabia on a dig. Okay, he was, he was doing his archaeological stuff. He wasn't into the, the political power stuff. So he let Belshazzar reign, you know, back at home while he was having fun playing in the dirt, if, if you would. And so, so, anyways, archaeology is not something that we've just done in our, in our era, okay? People throughout history have been interested in history. Isn't that fun? And so, so that's why there's all this evidence that's out there that has to be meshed together. But, now, important is where I start this at, at 609 B.C. Now, this is according to the Encyclopedia Britannica, okay? So, this isn't according to Bob. This is according to Encyclopedia Britannica. And I had to, in my mind, I had to say, okay, I'm not going to just put out my own numbers wherever I want them to be. I'm going to submit to the numbers that are out there that are most widely accepted. Does that make sense? So, so as I present this, understand that what I'm presenting to you is I feel pretty good about, okay? And these are the numbers that are most widely uh, accepted out there. So in 609 B.C., now, because this is real fun here, because even the secular history is going to confirm things for you. In 609 B.C., Josiah sides with the Babylonians and attacks Nico at Megiddo. Now you say, what? Well, read your Old Testament, 2 Kings 23. We read about Pharaoh Nico coming out to... To, to fight against the Babylonians, to fight against um, um, Nebuchadnezzar and Josiah wanting to ally himself with the Babylonians goes out to Megiddo to cut off the Egyptians. It's a suicide mission. I mean, he, Josiah was a godly man, but he, he certainly didn't go out in, in, the, in the, the, the council of God at this point. And so he dies. He dies at that one. His body's brought back to Jerusalem. Nico goes, and uh, he, he's beaten back at that battle, and on his way back through, he hasn't forgotten what Josiah has done, and so he stops in Jerusalem, and he takes um, Jehoaz, who the, the people have made king, prisoner, and takes him back to Egypt, and he sets up his brother Jehoiakim as king of Judah. Now, this is important, because at this moment, what is Judah? They're a vassal state. Until this moment, they have not been. Judah has held others as vassals, but they themselves have not been a full vassal state until this moment. And from this moment on, there's a, a point of no return. Watch. 
605 BC is the Battle of Carchemish. Some of you may know about the Battle of Carchemish. It was a big, big battle, big historical battle. That's where the Egyptians finally totally lost any, any um, idea of being a world empire. Babylon totally killed them. And you're told in 2 Kings 24, verse 7, that, um, that the king, King Necro, or Pharaoh Necro, and, and, the, and the Egyptians never came out of Egypt again. Why? Because they're afraid of the Babylonians. In fact, later on, the Babylonians are going to go and they're going to totally annihilate Egypt down in Egypt. Okay? And so, they lose that battle. In 601, Nebuchadnezzar captures Jerusalem. Okay? Jehoiakim becomes a vassal for three years. Okay? So, in other words, he, he just kind of goes and solidifies the deal that, okay, now you're our vassal, not Egypt's vassal. Okay? And so, in 598, Jehoiakim rebels. Okay? And, um, and he dies. We're not told how he dies, but theoretically, it's when Babylon comes, he, he's, he's killed there. He, either he's assassinated, or whether the Babylonians kill him. And Jehoiachin becomes the new, the new king. But, he is then taken by Nebuchadnezzar, along with other captives. Noteworthy of those captives are Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so, these other guys are taken to Babylon. So, understand, that's 598 B.C., Okay, and then they're made um, by Nebuchadnezzar. In 595, Jeremiah's prophecy of 70 years. Now, 595 is, is a fudge factor here, just to tell you. Because in chapter 29, verse 10, or verse 1, we're told that it was right after Jeconiah, um, after Jeconiah was taken prisoner, taken captive to Babylon. Okay, so it could be anywhere from 597 to 595. Okay, so it's kind of a... But the point here is that it's this early on, okay, that Jeremiah's prophecy happened that early on in this, in this time frame. And then you can see Nebuchadnezzar comes again for a second and third time to, to destroy Israel, to destroy Jerusalem. Jeremiah 29, verse 10, this is the prophecy that Daniel was, was praying about. And we read, for thus saith the Lord, thus saith Yahweh, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word towards you and cause you to return to this place. So God says that after 70 years, I'm going to finish your time in Babylon and I'm going to cause you to return to, to Jerusalem, to Israel, to Judah. Okay? In Isaiah 44, verse 28, now understand when did Isaiah, you didn't, we didn't read about Isaiah on that chronology at all, when did Isaiah prophesy? Anybody know? During whose reign? Hezekiah. Okay? Way back in Hezekiah's day. So Isaiah, hundreds of years before this, has prophesied through, uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit. It says, Who says of Cyrus, He is my shepherd, and he shall perform all my pleasure. Saying to Jerusalem, You shall be built, and to the temple your foundation shall be laid. Now, if Daniel is a man of God, and he's studying prophecies, and he's praying about Jeremiah's prophecy, do you, do you get the feeling that he might know about Isaiah's prophecies too? We read in Ezra chapter 1, verse 1 to 3. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of Yahweh by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom, and also put it in writing, saying, Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, All the kingdoms of the earth, and the Lord God of heaven has given me, and he has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah, 
who is among you of all his people. May his God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of Yahweh, God of Israel. He is God, which is in Jerusalem. Cyrus, in the first year of his reign, down here in 539, in his first year of his reign over Babylon in Jerusalem, gives a decree that the Jews can return to the Holy Land to build the Holy Temple. Interestingly enough, that year was 539 B.C. And so from the time that Judah was handed over to be a vassal state in 609, B.C., to the time of Cyrus's decree in 539 B.C., was exactly 70 years. Now, what I find is very interesting in all this <clears throat> is that Jeremiah made the prophecy back at 595, okay? But, note the other blue down here at the bottom of the chart, and that is that Daniel, in 539 B.C., is also seeking to understand the 70 weeks, or the 70 years. Of Jeremiah. Who is Daniel? <clears throat> Who is Daniel? What place does he have? Bring, bring in other, other parts of Daniel to help you out here. We have Darius the Mede, Darius the Mede, and Daniel. Anybody know anything about the relationship between Darius and, and Daniel? Darius is the one who threw Daniel into the lion's den. That is... <clears throat> that is judicially true, but it is not act totally accurate. Yeah, he, didn't want to. he didn't want to. Why didn't he want to? Because he, he liked Daniel. Who was Daniel in, in Darius' reign? An advisor? More important than that. He was second in command. He was the president of all the satraps. Daniel, though in Belshazzar's days was kind of subjugated and kind of put to the side. Remember when the many, many temple farsen we talked about? You know, they brought in all the wise men, <clears throat> and finally somebody had to say, hey, remember Daniel? Who is this guy, Daniel? You know? Well, they knew who Daniel was. Everybody knew who Daniel was. In fact, when Darius comes, who winds up being his right-hand man in the, in, the, in the Chaldean province? Daniel. Now, I find it interesting. I can't prove this. Okay? But I find the scriptural coincidences to be exciting here that Daniel's praying about the 70 years. He's pouring over the prophecies. I mean, think about it. If you're Daniel and you've read the prophecies, you understand the prophecies, and all of a sudden there's this guy named Cyrus becoming the king of Persia 70 years after your country has gone into captivity. What would you think? What's that, Daniel? Close We're close to freedom. I think this is sub total sub subjection. I, I wonder. Did Daniel communicate to Darius? Who communicated to Cyrus? Did, did Daniel communicate right to Cyrus? Did he have an in? To be able to go talk to the king of Persia. How did the king of Persia know. That God had commanded him to do this. 
How did he put both of these things together? The prophecy from Isaiah and the prophecy from Jeremiah. Somebody had to be able to put these two things together and present it to him. I submit that I think it was Daniel. That when God had sent Israel into captivity, remember, Daniel was one of those guys, okay, Jehoiachin and captives back in 598 B.C., Daniel was one of those teenage captives that when God sent them into captivity, he had already prepared the path for them to come back. And he put the man in the spot. And I challenged the teenagers with this a year, uh, a year ago, a week ago. Because we started to go through the book of Ezra together and we talked about this passage. What if Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael got upset at God because they were taken captive? And they said, okay, God, that's it. I've had it. You know, I, I thought that, you know, that those who sought you were, you blessed. This is your blessings. I'm, I'm taken away from my homeland. I'm forced to be a servant in the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the palace of this pagan king. And so when you were offered the, the delicacies of the king and the wines of the king, what would you do? Would you eat up? Say, dude. I mean, this is part of the blessings, right? God is really blessing me. Back there, we didn't have a whole lot to scrape together, but over here, I'm getting steak every day. I'm getting wine. I'm giving the choice foods. Daniel and his compatriots didn't do that, did they? What did they do? They said, we will not be defiled with the king's foods. Why? Because those king's foods were being offered unto idols and false gods. And they understood that, they were being, that, that, that food was offered unto false gods and they wouldn't want to eat it. And so they asked, they'd rather they could just eat vegetables. And I'm telling you that from my perspective, they really had to be sold out to God to do that. I mean, from my perspective, God would probably test me and say, okay, green beans every day. But instead of going against God, rather they embraced the place that they were in. They blossomed where God had planted them, and they did what God had chosen for them to do. And for, look at this, almost 70 years, 70 years almost, he lived there. That's what? How many years is that? That's uh, 60, 56 years. I'm probably counting it wrong. 56 years. Did I do that wrong? I'm right, 56. 56 years, at least, Daniel was in Babylon. He went as a teenager, probably in his 16 to 21 range. He's now in his 70s. And he's in the position that he's still set apart unto God. To the place where men who wanted to see him fall couldn't find a fault with him. Isn't that something? And so I ask you as I ask teenagers, how would you respond to this troublesome moment that God had allowed? If Daniel and Azariah and Hananiah and Mishael didn't do what God had them to do. Now I understand this is from human's perspective, okay? Would Cyrus have ever known? And the answer, first of all, is yes, it would come from a different place, okay? But B, they wouldn't have had the blessing of being the, the, the witness, I think, that God had them to be. So just remember that sometimes it may take 50 to 75 years for God to, to reveal 
what your ultimate purpose is going to be. In the meantime, you be the influence where you are. But God has a purpose in everything he does. So an exciting thing. So we have the 70, these seven years that we're told about. Okay, And now let's go on. Cyrus, Cyrus dies. Okay, And many people try to debate, now is that the beginning of the 70 weeks? The answer to that is no. Because what did Cyrus tell them to go do? To rebuild the temple, not the city. Remember the 70 weeks was to do what? The streets and the walls. And so we come on down through, and we go through the work of, the, uh, go through the reigns of Darius and Xerxes. Um, interesting enough, Xerxes is the one that Esther was the, the, the wife of, became the queen of. I just put that in there for, just for fun's sake. Um, then Artaxerxes becomes king after that. And Artaxerxes is the one in Ezra 7 who makes a decree for Ezra to be able to go back. And, and not only for Ezra to go back, but Artaxerxes also decreed that the law of Yahweh would be the law of the land for Israel. This is really interesting stuff. And that was 458 B.C. That was in the 7th year of his reign. In the 20th year of his reign, we read in, Nebi, in Nehemiah chapter 2, that Nehemiah is the cupbearer for Artaxerxes. It's amazing how, how God put Jews in the place of all these kings. Isn't it amazing? I mean, what a divine coincidence, huh? And, uh, and so there's Nehemiah, and he says, Why are you sad? And Nehemiah says, Why shouldn't I be sad when my, when, when my homeland is in such disarray? And so Artaxerxes says, What do you want me to do? He says, I want you to let me to go back. I want you to let me go back, and I want you to let me to restore the, rebuild the city. Now, I don't think Artaxerxes has been reading the prophecies of Daniel. And I honestly don't think at this moment that Nehemiah did. I think Nehemiah is only doing what God has placed in his heart, which just happens to be the initiation point for these 70 weeks. Some would hold, and, I, and, I, and straight up, I toy with this one as well. I toy with it just a little bit, but I'm, I'm, I'm satisfied, I'm content to say to the 445 B.C. Some would say that the 458 B.C., um, when Artaxerxes made his first decree, because he was beginning the process going that way, and Nehemiah just kind of continued the process in that, okay? Um, you're going to see in a moment why I opt for the 445 B.C., okay? I, I think that's more legitimate. So, so we have Artaxerxes' decree to rebuild. Okay? So um, that's the one we're going to choose. And now we're going to go on. Now, the question is, 445 B.C., Artaxerxes' decree via Nehemiah to allow Jerusalem and walls to be rebuilt. Is this really 483 years to the coming of Messiah? Because look, if we do this, we got 483 <coughs> minus the 445 B.C., right? That gives us 39 A.D. You say 39 A.D., you don't know how to do math, Bob. Why is it 39 and not 38? There was no year zero. That's exactly right. We go straight from 1 B.C. to 1 A.D. Okay? So you have to add a year <coughs> into that because there is no year zero. Because when you subtract out of it, you're going to zero, and then you're going to come back out. But there was no year zero. So you go straight from 1 B.C. to 1 A.D. So you've got to add, add one back. Weird stuff. Math is fun. Anyways. So, so anyways, 39 A.D. 39 A.D. is when Jesus Christ died, right? It's not even on the map. The, the, <coughs> the, the, the wide swath of, of dates for Jesus' death is between 29 and 33 A.D. Okay? You go out there and you look opinions. It has to be in that, that ballpark. It has to be in that, that time frame. Okay? 
So, what do we do? Well, the key to this is understanding what a prophetic year is. This is in the midst of prophecy, not in the midst of chronology. Exactly right. And, in prophecy, prophecy uses a lunar calendar, a lunar understanding. A lunar month is 30 days. That makes a lunar year, or a prophetic year, 360 days. Now, we see this in the book of Genesis, with Noah, and we see with Noah, in Genesis 7, I understand this is not prophecy, but this is according to the lunar before all the other calendars came in, okay? And so in the 600 year of Noah's life, in the second month, the 17th day of the month, on that day, da 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 okay? But then we drop down to verse 24, it says, And the water revealed on the earth 150 days. Okay? And in chapter 8, verse 4, we read, Then the ark rested in the seventh month, the 17th day. So, the water revealed for 150 days, so that means the ark rested after 150 days, and that was exactly five months, seven, from, the, from the second month to the seventh month, is five months, 150 days, divided by five is 30 days per month. We see it even more importantly for us in the book of Revelation. And on your sermon note sheets, you have more verses in the book of Revelation than just this, but this one will suffice us. But in Revelation chapter 11, this is very important for us, because in chapter 11, this is the 70th week coming into play, okay? Now, I know I'm getting ahead, and I'm saying this is introduction, and we all understand Revelation, because we understand Daniel, but I want you to understand that we are going to understand Revelation because of Daniel, but this is where it ties in. It says, but leave out the court, which is outside the temple, and do not measure it, for it has been given to the Gentiles, and they shall tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months. And I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. Okay? Now, you can read the rest of it. Those time frames are the exact same time frames. You have 1,260 days. Guess what 1,260 days divided by 30 is? 42 months. Okay? So, in prophecy, prophecy uses, um, excuse me, 30 days in a month. Okay? So, we have this 483 years. So, we have 483 prophetic years. We multiply that by the 360 days that are in a prophetic year. That gives us 173,880 prophetic days. Okay? Don't you love math? See? Yeah, I, I, tell, I tell everybody, math is, math is in everything. Math is, and, and, you know, and you say no, but when you say you don't like math, you're making a decree against God, because God is the God of order, and God is the one who determined everything would be what? Orderly through math. Anyways, that's the purpose of math too, kids. Math isn't just to, to, to drive you bonkers. Math is to help teach you to think logically. It really is. Okay? So we have 173, 880 prophetic days. Now, what is that? Well, if we take Artaxerxes' decree, and Sir Robert Anderson, and, and well with some others, have determined that um, going to the, the time that Nehemiah finished the wall, uh, going back, back dating and all that kind of stuff, that they, they go by the Gregorian calendar that that date was March 14th, 445 B.C. I cannot tell you that I took the time this week to validate that day. It's close enough for me to say, okay, fine, I'll accept that for right now. Okay? Because it wasn't 445 and Nehemiah did finish the wall after 50-something days. And so, anyways, I didn't go through the Gregorian calendar to, to validate that day. But it was in the spring of 445. If you take that date and add 173,880 days to it, you come up with April 6th, 
32 A.D. Not 38, 39, whatever the day was before that we talked about, but rather 32 A.D., which is in the realm of possibilities, 29 to 33. And I want to submit to you, it's not just within the realm of possibilities, but I've had to change a little bit my philosophy this week. I still struggle with thinking that it might be 29 A.D., based upon the, the, the year of the Jubilee, but I'm, I'm starting to, to believe that maybe Eusebius was wrong, declaring that 29 A.D. was a Jubilee, and maybe 32 was a Jubilee. So anyways, um, I'm doing more research, okay? I love this stuff from the perspective that I want to know truth, and I, and I want to know, I mean, there are theories that are out there, and, and, and I, want to, I want to be based upon everything I know, okay? So, so I'm, I'm going to be honest with you when, I, when, when things are still hanging out there for me, and things that I'm very, that I'm very sure of, but I'm very sure of everything I'm sh sharing with you right now. Now, if we take this now, okay, what happened, as we read earlier, around April 6th, 32 AD, in which the coming prince, the Messiah the prince, would come? Well, we just read from Matthew 21, this is Luke's account in chapter 19, it says, Then as he, that is Jesus, was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God, with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is who? Blessed is the King. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of Yahweh. Pray peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Now, drop down to later, it says, Now as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it. This is why he wept. Listen to what he says. Saying, If you had known, even you, especially in your day, the things that make for your peace, and remember why he came? Remember what the purposes of the, of the weeks were? To bring what? To bring in reconciliation. Reconciliation is the making of what? Peace. If you had known, even you, especially in your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden. The vision is what? Sealed. They are hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you. You remember this because we're going to go back uh, quickly here, back to those 70 weeks for the gap in between. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you and close you in on every side and level you. Well, isn't that exciting? And level you and your children within you to the ground. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. You didn't recognize when the king had come. Today is that day we celebrate. Isn't this exciting? And so instead of just being a message on the book of Daniel, this is the perfect message for Palm Sunday. Because Jesus is talking about the, the terminus, if you would, the, the, the end point of those 483 years is the day that we celebrate right now. This is the day we commemorate that the 69 weeks were finished on that day. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just in having salvation, lowly riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. What did Jesus come into Jerusalem on? A donkey, the foal of a donkey. On that day was fulfilled this prophecy of the book of Daniel. Now, can we confirm this date, though, other than just kind of throwing it out that way? And the answer is yes. There is ample. I'm just going to present two of them right now. But there is ample um, confirmation that comes from other sources. First of all, John the Baptist. 
his ministry began in 28 AD. How do we know that? It's because we're told in the book of Luke, chapter 3, verse 1 to 3, that his ministry began in the 15th year of Tiberius, when Tiberius was Caesar. Tiberius, we know from other sources, began his reign in 14 BC. Again, these other sources aren't seeking to confirm the Bible. Rather, they did anything. They wanted to do what? <coughs> to discredit the Bible. And so, Tiberius began his reign in 14 BC. You add again um, the, fifth, the, the time to it. Um, how did I do that? i got to go back and look at that again. I'm messing it up somewhere. I wrote a number wrong. i got to go back and look at it. In Jesus' first Passover, in John 2, verse 13, verse 18 and 20, we read, when Jesus was talking about it, he said that um, you destroy this temple and I will what? Raise it up in three days. And to the Jews, they responded and said what? It's taken, it's taken 46 years to build this temple. The, build, the temple was still being built at this time. Herod was still doing work. He wasn't going to be finished with this thing for years later. But what they said was, it's, it's already has taken, what, 46 years to build this temple, and you're going to destroy it and rebuild it in three days? Herod began building the temple in 18 B.C. 46 years would be 29 A.D., the beginning of Jesus' ministry. I've got to go back and check my numbers on the other one. But it, uh, it, it was in the 15th year, that could have been 14 uh, years after. No. It must have been in 1 B.C. I, I must have put a 4 in there by accident. I'll, I'll have to check that. A lot of times when you're cutting and pasting and stuff like that, you wind up adding things and you don't catch it. Anyways, <clears throat> so I'll, I'll check on that. I'm not, I'm not content to leave that stand like that. But anyways, other than to say that there is then, there are points of confirmation that are in just general world history that pinpoint Christ's time even closer. So, now we continue on in this division. Okay, so that's the 62 weeks. Okay, now we're told though, after the 62 weeks, there's this gap. After the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. So we're told that after the Messiah, the prince comes, and before the final week, which we're going to talk about in just a moment, because note that final week is down here, down, down below here, right? There's this, there's this gap. There's these things that are going to go on between it. Okay? So you got these 60, 69 weeks, then you got the 70th week, and there's these other things that are going to go on. Well, what are the things that are going to go on? Well, Messiah is going to be crucified. He's going to be cut off. But I love this. But not for himself. Isn't that awesome? He died for our transgressions. It was for our iniquity that he bore the cross. Isn't that exciting? He didn't die because he was a sinner. He died because we were. And then we're told the people of the prince who is to come. Now, who is the prince who is to come? The Antichrist. The Antichrist. That is that end time king that we talked about last week. The one who was a type of, the Antiochus Epiphanes was, was a type of. And it says, the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. And so we're told that there's going to, be a period of time where the, this guy's going to come. Well, this people of the prince, though, though we think it being the Antichrist, reality is that this is the, that 
that kingdom that was to come was going to be what a revival of what kingdom? The Roman Empire. This prince is the Roman prince who was the, the, the type of Antichrist to come. And so this is that prophecy that Jesus just declared. And that is, woe to you. Why? Because the time is coming when you will be destroyed. That's right. That your city is going to be leveled. Not one stone is going to be left on another. And that's exactly what happens here. And then we're told, the end of it shall be with a flood till the end of the war, desolations are determined. So there's this gap that happens. And then at the end of this gap, there's going to be this, fall, this final week. And we're told that in this final week, then he, that is the prince that is to come. So we understand that, that the prince originally of Rome who destroyed the temple was again a type like Antiochus Epiphanes was of the Antichrist that is to come. And we're told that he, that is the prince that shall come, shall confirm a covenant with many for one week, one seven, one period of seven years. But in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. So if the 62 weeks were for Israel... Who was the final week for? Israel. Israel. It's for the Jews. Okay? That's important to me. This passage is the reason why I am a pre-trib rapturist. Now, I know those are big words. This passage is why I believe the church will be caught up before the seven years, the last seven years of tribulation. Because we are the saints of the Most High, the Ancient of Days. We are not Israel. If you are of the, those who are of the covenant persuasion, Presbyterians primarily, who believe that the church has supplanted Israel, they don't believe that. They think that we are Israel. It is not true, biblically. Remember what we've already seen from the book of Jeremiah. Only if you can do what? Destroy my covenant, God says, with the sun, the moon, and the stars, can you destroy my covenant with Israel. So God's covenant with Israel is going to stand. His covenant with David is going to stand. And, and this promise, this prophecy is going to stand just like he said. And so what's going to happen? Well, this Antichrist is going to come and he's going to make a covenant. He's going to make a pact. He's going to make a political agreement for seven years. And everybody's going to say what? Peace, peace. It's peace and safety. The book of Thessalonians. But in the middle of it, he's going to break that pact. Now, I can give you some, some thought process that I have on that, but we'll save that for the book of Revelation. So, what is your view of biblical prophecy? I asked this last week, and I ask it again. Do you believe that the events are going to happen as the Bible foretells? I hope I'm preaching to the choir, and you're all saying, of course we do, of course we do. But if you struggle with it at all, listen, even when it comes down to the chronology, when it comes down to datings and, and math, the Bible is so accurate. Messiah has come. He will be coming again. Are you ready? We are told that every eye, every eye, will see him. And we're told that they will look upon him whom they have pierced. That we will mourn. We will mourn. And so, are you ready? We want to close this part of the message with a special today. Um, after the, the special, I'll, I'll get up and just kind of lead us to go to a transition of prayer as we go to communion. Um, but Jessica and Gabrielle have a special for us.